0: Hello and welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Monday, March 13th. Amanda Borshel Dan here joined by editor David Horowitz and military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian. Hello to you both.
1: Hey Amanda. Hi Amanda
0: bills that make up the judicial overhaul package may be voted on today at the Knesset's four o'clock plenum session, including potentially an override bill and a bill redefining prime ministerial recusal. In the meantime, we'll discuss related issues, including the botched dismissal of the Tel Aviv police chief, a telling gaffe made by the head of the IDF, and a proposed constitution from opposition head Yair Lapid. But first, a word from our sponsor.
2: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Saracheck law firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Saracheck's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed.
0: And we're back on Thursday night while Or Asher, Rotem Manzano and Michael Austin were on their way to a friend's wedding. A 23-year-old Palestinian terrorist opened fire on them outside a Tel Aviv cafe. Manny, first of all, tell us how these three friends are faring.
1: So the three the three friends who are on their way to a wedding uh, on the night of the shooting attack, uh, two of them, Ora share and uh, Rotem Mansano, are still listed in serious condition, or uh, was more critically hurt in the attack, uh, but his condition has stabilized uh, since. Uh, and Rotem, who was seriously hurt, uh, was and uh, never in uh, a real life-threatening condition, despite the serious injuries. Uh, but his condition is also uh, stable, according to uh, hospital officials.
0: What do we know about the attack so far?
1: So the attacker, uh, Mutaz Hawaja from uh, Nilin in the West Bank, uh, he entered Israel illegally. It's not fully clear how he entered Israel. Uh, however, to reach Tel Aviv, um, he was on this sort of transport Um, organized by Israelis uh, to basically uh, help Palestinians who want to work in Israel um, reach Israeli cities. So two people who are involved in this transportation, uh, two Arab-Israeli men, one from Ramleh and one from Kaseyfa in southern Israel, uh, have been detained uh, over their involvement in this transportation. They are being questioned now as to whether or not they knew the person that they were um, bussing over um, was involved or was if they knew he was uh, planning to commit a, a terror attack in Tel Aviv. Uh, both of them have been... Uh, Their uh, detention has been extended until Thursday, at least, while the uh, police and the Shinbeck question them. And we'll see by the end of the week whether or not they remain held or not or if they are released under some sort of restrictive conditions.
0: And they turn themselves in, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Correct so uh, after the attack the next morning uh, both of them separately turned themselves into police uh, after they had realized that the person that they had driven committed this attack after they saw images uh, online posted of, of the of the attacker's name and they may have known him previously from previous times that they transported him. It's not entirely clear yet, but uh, if they turn themselves in uh, that is some sort of indication that they may have uh, not known he was going to commit an attack.
0: Okay, Mandy, thank you for that, David. As you noted in your op-ed following a Thursday night speech by President Isaac Herzog that we discussed yesterday in depth on the podcast, it fell to Tel Aviv Police Chief Amichai Eshed to oversee the aftermath of the shooting, and what made that timing so—I don't know—can we say ironic in a way?
3: Uh, that's one one word we could use. Um, he'd just been fired, Amichai Eshed, the um, the Tel Aviv uh, commander. He'd been fired apparently with the consent or even possibly the original instigation of the National Police Commissioner, but the announcement of his dismissal was made by uh, Itamar Bengvir, our Minister of National Security. And Bengvir had been very critical of the policing of uh, two two plus months of very, very large demonstrations against the government's moves to shackle and all all the neuter the High Court. Uh, We've had uh, very, very large demonstrations. There was uh, um, a few days when Eshed was away, and uh, a demonstration held in that period was fairly aggressively confronted by police, uh, more in the spirit that Ben Gavir, the minister, would like. Whereas when Eshed has been running the show, um, demonstrators have been allowed for a limited period to block major highways, and he has tried to avoid uh, confrontation. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, Benvir was very unhappy with him. Uh, National Police Chief Kobi Shabtai apparently shared the minister's low opinion of him. Uh, they had agreed to, um, quote unquote, um, uh, transfer him, basically um, uh, boot him out to, to head training. I mean, if you were making this up, that's what you say. Oh, yeah, well, let's promote him to be the head of training. Well, that's what they were doing, right? Um, so this was announced um, uh, on Thursday evening and then very soon afterwards there was the terrorist attack that uh, that uh, Manny just talked about and it fell to Eshed whose dismissal was supposed to be immediate nonetheless to take charge of the uh, of, of the um police response to the terrorist attack to fi- find the the, the terrorist uh, um uh, cover the scene, tell people what to do, etc., which he did. Um, The Attorney General has since intervened uh, and frozen Eshed's transfer slash dismissal. Um, It's not entirely clear how that's going to play out because uh, uh, the police commissioner has indicated that he... um, was certainly part of the process. Uh, He said he made a mistake in ordering the transfer, that the the path was wrong and the timing was wrong. Uh, But it's not clear that the minister um, will be proven to have forced his hand. And I suspect the Attorney General, that's what the Attorney General was concerned about, was this... um, unacceptable ministerial interference in the internal running of the police? Or was this uh, a minister pressuring a complicit commissioner uh, who ultimately made the decision? Uh, so it's not clear where, where Eshed's future lies. Uh, the police commissioner gave a very candid um, little address on uh, Saturday night to the nation, saying that he had erred and he uh, apologized and promising uh, to respect Israeli dem- democracy and to protect the people. But this is still a, uh, a crisis in progress.
0: Do you see this crisis as symbolic of anything wider?
3: I'll refer you to a piece written by one of our political reporters uh, that's uh, on the site at the moment, which looks into uh, this crisis as a potential sort of forerunner of constitutional crises to follow. So Carrie Keller, Lynn's piece, uh, takes this uh, uh, this particular incident and wonders how things are going to play out in the future in all sorts of areas, where the political echelon will try to intervene in areas where it should not. Uh, the court would be expected, uh, in this case, the attorney general, and then potentially the court would be expected to intervene. And will the government accept the decisions of the attorney general and ultimately of the courts? Um, just to, to keep going with this, uh, the attorney general this morning asked to meet with Bengvir, who has publicly said he has no faith in her. Remember, she's the government's chief legal advisor. Uh, he doesn't want her to represent him uh, if he and his ministerial responsibilities are challenged in the High Court she asked to meet with him and he's told her he doesn't want to meet with her uh, if all of this sounds you know like a saga of you know surrealism uh, it's a saga of the, the the cracking of the rule of law in Israel uh, we have not reached the definitive moment yet. But as a little forerunner, this incident, a police chief who felt himself torn between an overbearing minister uh, and an officer who maybe he didn't have the greatest faith in. You know, this is the direction things are heading in and potentially will get much worse if the government's overhaul package uh, does become law. Uh, It's proceeding in that direction. None of the elements have yet to become law. Some of them uh, are well on the way.
0: And listeners, I will leave a link in our program notes to Kerry's excellent piece. Please check it out. We'll go to a short break now.
4: Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein-Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniel, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times.
0: and Rebecca, Manny, turning back to you, amid the apparently growing unrest among reservists, over the weekend, IDF chief Herzi Halevi admittedly made the comment, a secure dictatorship is better than an unprotected anarchy. Can you give us the context of his statement?
1: So Halevi was quoted by Yadiota Hronot as saying this to a group of reservist soldiers. So over the past week, uh, Halevi has been meeting with uh, many reservist, uh, soldiers and commanders uh, from the Air Force, from the tanks units, from, from basically every part of the army, um, amid these growing calls by, uh, reservists to, uh, basically refuse to show up for duty or to protest against the overhaul by boycotting certain days of training. So he's been trying to, uh, kind of quell these, uh, these calls. And, uh, during one of these meetings, he was quoted as saying a secure dictatorship or a, or a safe dictatorship is better than unprotected anarchy. There wasn't any more context to the to that quote. It was just as is. But Halevi yesterday, speaking at this um, military ceremony for reservist soldiers, uh, admitted to saying this this statement, but he. He said it does not re- reflect his worldview, and he he said it in error, but not, he didn't really mean to say it. So he said that in one of the conversations, a remark was made regarding an extreme point to which the dispute, meaning the judicial overhaul, uh, could develop. And he says that he replied with a moral response about our duty to protect and about the fact that I will always be in this country. And I added a sentence that I should not have said that does not reflect my worldview at all. Uh, and he said that he wants to clarify his intentions regarding that line. Uh, And he said that the army would not be able to act during the disintegration of society and would not be able to act without the volunteering of the reservists and their willingness, which he said depends on the preservation of the IDF as the people's army in a democratic Jewish state. Uh, He then went on to quote the uh, IDF's uh, code of ethics, which he said that uh, soldiers have to act according to uh, the rule of law, according to the rules of the army, uh, while respecting Israel as a Jewish and democratic state.
0: Manny, I'd like to impress upon our listeners the importance of reservists in terms of our defense. In fact, in terms of the pilots, what percentage plus minus would you say are reservists in the
1: active pilots corps that we have? So, among pilots, uh, I believe it's around half. So, more or less. I mean, in general, the army, Israel's army, relies on the reserve army. The standing army is relatively small. Um soldiers are drafted for two to three years and then they're released, but then they continue to do reserve duty for twenty to thirty years longer depending on their position. With pilots it is especially um important. So around half of the pilots who uh conduct airstrikes according to foreign reports in Syria and other countries and also in, in the Gaza Strip every so often are usually reservist soldiers, or at least half of them are. Uh, and these soldiers uh these pilots uh conduct training a lot more frequently so regular infantry soldiers who may do uh training every few months or once or twice a year um whereas pilots do training very frequently um they will show up at least once a week for uh, some sort of training or some sort of refresher so it's very important for pilots uh to be you know to always show up so that their uh, competency remains high. So uh, these calls by pilots to uh, refuse to shop for training is very
3: worrying for the army. David, weigh in here. Yeah, I just think there, there are two elements in uh, Halevi's uh, comments that are that are worth stressing. First, the, the, you know, the who knows what motivated him to say that uh, a secure dictatorship is better than an unprotected anarchy, but it reflects the the, the incredibly troubling and unstable era that we're in now in Israel. And then, in the in the cold light of day, thinking back over what he said, he basically went to the other extreme, and he basically said the correct extreme, uh, I would add, and said, you know, if if this isn't a democracy, the whole pact with with the people for this army thing, it breaks down. The spirit in which mandatory military service and then reserve duty uh, play out is in Israel uh, with the rule of law and equality before the law and democracy, uh, and of course, you know, his original remark. Lord knows what prompted him to make it. Uh, his um, carefully thought out ad- uh, 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 reappraisal uh, is the essence of what's at stake here. You know, there is a, a contract, if you like, an unwritten contract, whereby. We serve in the army. We send our children to serve in the army. They risk the, their lives in a country with the values uh, that have defined this country. If those are not to be the values anymore, the Chief of Staff was saying, "This army is not going to function." And uh, uh, controversial as his original remark uh, was, his readdressing of what uh, what is at stake here is incredibly important. Um, much more important, in a way, than the controversial uh, the controversy over over a. Uh, unfortunate sentence. The, The carefully constructed assessment that the army cannot function unless Israel remains a Jewish democratic state is what we should take away from this.
0: David, staying with you, there are those, of course, who want to make that unwritten contract more codified, including head of the opposition, Yair Lapid, who released a statement on Friday, again calling for a formal constitution. So in addition to codifying the Declaration of Independence, the Lapid constitution would also include three, I'll I'll call it, overarching laws. The first would be a declaration of the supremacy of the country's basic laws. The second would determine the number of Haredi men that Israeli society and the economy can support in full-time study. And the third would define the possibilities for judicial review of Knesset legislation. Now, me personally, I saw number two and I was a little surprised by the weightiness addressed to the topic of the Haridim. What do you think about that, David?
3: I think Israel would be well served uh, to have a constitution reflecting perhaps the spirit of uh, and values set out in the declaration of independence uh, i don't think this is uh, uh, going to happen now it should have happened over the decades the the least likely time to have it successfully negotiated is at a moment when a majority coalition is insistently pushing through Uh, legislation for a very different Israel, and ignoring all opposition and ignoring what what have now become desperate pleas uh, from the president. Um, So I don't think that that's the way to go. If I were leading the opposition, I would not be proposing unlikely, radically unlikely uh, processes. I would be imploring, appealing to the patriotism, Zionism, and Uh, um, respect for democracy uh, of Netanyahu's Likud party. There are people in that party, they're the only people who can stop uh, this process. There are many people in Likud uh, who know what a disaster, what an absolute catastrophe uh, the coalition's uh, legislative blitz is already starting to bring down upon Israel and it hasn't become law yet. Uh, And if I were leading the opposition, which of course it's Israel's great good fortune that I'm not, uh, I would be appealing to the Yuli Edelsteins and the Avi Dichters and the Nir Barkats and several others who... People with uh, incredible records of, I mean, Dichter was a former head of the Shin Bet, for goodness sake. Barakat is the former mayor of Jerusalem. The op- these are people who understand how the army needs to function. These are people who understand how the economy needs to function. Uh, and uh, like I say, if I were trying to stop a devastating legislative process, I wouldn't be doing it by raising suggestions for a constitution. That would be all well and good if we were in some kind of coherent, cohesive, constructive uh, political era. We're not. We're in a make-or-break period for Israel, and uh, the, the task of the opposition, I think, is is to appeal to wise people who can make a difference, not to um, to tilt at the windmill of uh, of uh, putting forward a, a, an outline for a constitution that nobody is about to negotiate.
0: David, thank you for that. David, Manny, thank you for joining me today.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Amanda.
0: Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music.
2: You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom.